who doesn't know that there's areas in ourselves that we can develop more fully or that cause us anguish and suffering or, you know, whether it's inside or how we relate. So it's not like people don't know that. It's not, the question is, are they willing to share some of that in a organizational setting? As an Enneagram author, teacher, and keynote speaker, as well as an organization development consultant, trainer, and coach, Ginger Lapid Bogda works with organizations, leaders, and teams around the globe to create vibrant, productive, and sustainable organizations. Author of nine Enneagram business books, she also offers global certification programs that enable consultants, trainers, and coaches to use the Enneagram effectively and accurately in organizational applications such as teams, leadership, conflict, feedback, strategy, organizational change and transformation, consulting, coaching, and personal and professional development. Ginger has so much experience using the Enneagram in business. I couldn't wait to pick her brain and ask her questions about how she uses it in organizations of all shapes and sizes. Ginger Lapid Bogda. Yeah, it's so great. It's so great to have you here on the Big Self Show. And thank you for being willing to jump in and have a little discussion for a few minutes. Glad to be here. And, you know, I think it's fun. You know, uh, well, first of all, you know, let's um, introduce you to our audience a little bit. I know you are well known in Enneagram circles, but for those first time listeners, you know, how, tell us, how did you first come about learning the Enneagram and you know, how far back does your experience go with it? And then, you know, I'm curious, just were you immediately taken with it and just knew that you were going to work with it? Or what was that process like? Well, that is a really on point question because um, I believe that People don't find the Enneagram that the Enneagram finds us when Mm -hmm. it's time for us to sort of work with the Enneagram in whatever way that means. So I had heard about something related to the Enneagram for a couple of decades, but really not by name. Just a few people who'd been to the Eureka training. I knew somebody uh, who had studied with, um, with Claudio Naranjo in Northern California, but it was secretive, so I didn't know why. <laughs> so there were right. little glimpses there. Um, but I think the Enneagram finds us when we're ready. So how I, the Enneagram found me was I wasn't looking for anything except that I wanted to go to a, uh, on a vacation retreat. And the place I would go to would, was Esalen Institute in Northern California. Mm-hmm. Oh. The only program on the schedule when I was available was that I hadn't been to because I was, had been to many, many programs. I'm a trained gestalt therapist. I'd been through, you know, spiritual work. I had been through all kinds of psychological process. I said, oh, well, I'll try this. So, and it was led by Helen Palmer, who I didn't know the name or anything. That's like, I went very naively. It was booked as a beginner program, which is what I was. Right. Actually, it was mismarked and it was an advanced program. So I'm sitting there in this room with 
uh, almost 40 other people. Everybody knows their type, the system, but me. What could go wrong? Yeah, And could you tell us a little bit about like just when, so this is out in Northern California. Early 1990s, early 1990s. Okay. go there, mm-hmm. you know, the first couple of days, besides my, I was feeling anxious because everybody knows their type and I don't know mine. I'm trying to figure it out. That's not really what, I, for me, the most comfortable scenario. But no, they're also throwing around numbers and I wasn't having it. I'm a this number, I'm a that. Like, how can people be numbers? So I was skeptical. And, but it, it was not an inexpensive program. So I decided to stay. And the more I stayed, the more I saw the value. But I totally went for my own learning. No intention whatsoever of doing anything with it, okay? Okay. Right. So I leave after five days, and I'm walking out of the room, and there is a, I'm tired, of course, but, you know, it's midday, and I see in my, I can't tell, is it in the sky, or is it in my mind, but clearly it was in my mind, a blimp that carried a banner that said, your job is to bring the Enneagram out more into the world. And I remember I was by myself. I was the last person leaving. And I said, that's not my plan. And the blimp came back another time and said, it doesn't matter what your plan is. I was like, okay. (laughs) And what am I supposed to do? And the third time it said, well, just be still or be patient. It will become clear. So fine. So then I said, well, I want to learn more about this. So I signed up to go through the narrative school, Enneagram schools training and part of the training was you had to type 20 people. and then Like case studies? Well, no, it was more like it was audio tape at the time. And then <laughs> it was uh, supervisors who knew more than you did, one did, about and would give you feedback on your typing skills and accuracy. So I had just moved to Los Angeles from the Northern California myself. So I did not have 20 friends in LA yet that I... Could do that with right but i and i had relatives but that it wasn't exactly the you know that i'm not sure i want to type on my relatives so and i didn't have 20 of them anyway so i said well i have clients i had a lot of clients different parts of the world and country i was an organizational consultant has my clients let's see and then i said well i'll give them a book just as a thank you and they agreed and so they you know different levels of leaders and they, a lot of them said, well, gee, this is really great. What can you help me figure out how to develop more as a leader with this? Or can you help me figure out how to work better with my team with this? You see, so this is how, and then it was became clear to me that what I, because I knew organizations so well, because I've had 25 years as an OD consultant. Okay. Okay. So the, you had that background. I see. See, and so organizations is where people meet. So I thought, well, okay, this, the Enneagram is very potent and accurate in terms of helping people suffer less, be more conscious. Organizations are where people meet because where do people meet to, you know, they meet in communities, but those are not that organized churches. Okay. Or religious, you know, temples, whatever they go to, but that was not my venue because that's not what I, but organizations is a distribution channel for this. So I said, okay, I can do that. I think you really fast forwarded. So there you are in uh, Helen Palmer's advanced class, 
when did they learn that you were a beginner and how did they treat you? And then what was that five days like? I guess it was pretty profound. First of all, I didn't, I did say that I didn't know. And I, you know, there's always a thing in a group, like what's the right of entry into the group, right? And in, in these kinds of groups, it's knowing your, this was knowing your type and being able to converse about it and have a conversation about it. And I couldn't do that. So it, they were seemed to be okay with it because there were 40 people. So I wasn't like, like central. Right. Um, it was more my experience of how did I feel about being there, given that I didn't feel like I could engage. I had a lot of questions, but here's what I did. This is funny. So I, I lived in Los Angeles and I had a car. I had driven, and most of the people who came there did not have cars. So sometimes when we'd have breaks, there was, I'd lived at, in Big Sur. So there's a wonderful restaurant called Nepenthe that's mm. you know, absolutely has great food and a beautiful setting. So I would go there, you know, during the breaks. So they have a wonderful little gift shop too. And that was, so people who wanted to go and didn't have cars, how could they get off the property? Ah. <laughs> so given that I had the car, which was, you know, a high, highly valued resource, um, I would take a few people with me each time who wanted to go because the word spread that Ginger has a car. Yeah. Then over these conversations, driving or at lunch, I could ask my what I considered naive questions. And so the learning continued all day long. But so I'm still, I am amazed by this blimp story. You're saying that you you had this almost a, revel, a revelatory experience at the end of it where you literally were looking up at the sky and you saw this blimp that seemed to say these things? I never had anything like that happen before. And it's interesting because once I decided to write my first book and, mm -hmm. you know, or even with a client project that was complex and I would have a little challenge to work through, I would go out to my patio and I would often see a blimp, not just a random one with a banner, you know, buy, go to buy from 7-Eleven, you know, buy Goodyear tires or something, but, or a blimp with no message, but right. kind of, you know, they, just, they were real ones that were in the sky. So, you know, it was just interesting for me. Okay. Well, you know, to, to, I love what you just said about like the Enneagram finding you. And, you know, I had heard about it in the nineties as, as well as you did, but I didn't engage with it for whatever reasons. And just a few years ago, re refounded or it found me. And all I want to say to, to that point is when I engaged with it, I found it just explaining insight after insight and my motivations and my intentions and also my behavior. And it was just, it was gentle mm -hmm. it, it, the way it revealed things and my defenses were not up around it. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty revelatory that way. And I think that's part of its power. Exactly. So, so to form this into a question that would be like, you know, how is it just an effective tool in the professional world? We'll just start with a broad question. So people are people. See, I, you know, I am, I would call it a Enneagram purist or classicist or something. Mm -hmm. like for me, it's about the whole person. Yeah. It's about development. And I think everybody knows that there's areas that they're strong in. They may not know exactly what they are and certainly may not understand why, but who doesn't know that there's areas in ourselves 
that we can develop more fully or that cause us anguish and suffering or you know whether it's inside or how we relate so it's not like people don't know that it's not the question is are they willing to share some of that in a organizational setting yeah that is where i'm going that yeah. is what i'm so so here's the thing so i'm very respectful i don't want to use the word cautious when i present the types that i'm doing it where to the people who are then going to be uncovering what their type is that i'm presenting the nine types in concrete ways, not esoteric ways. That can be a turnoff. It's very concrete. And then I'm using very non-judgmental language. Okay. So you talk about areas you're strong in with not making them sound like they're so great. Because if you overuse your strengths anyway, it can become a liability. And we talk about the development areas. There's ways to name those areas. Some that make you feel like I'm really a bad person and I shouldn't do that and da-da-da. Others ways of naming the exact same behavior, which is very non-judgmental. It's just descriptive. So you began with the descriptive behaviors. Do you find that when you, like, there's a lot of information that you have to communicate with the Enneagram. Do you, before you go in with it to a, do a training with a team or an organization, do you have them take a test, do readings, or do you just do you just go um, in and spend some time me, teaching? I don't, the tests are not accurate enough for me. Plus... Hmm. They still need to understand, even if they've taken a test, they still have to get exposure to what the nine types are, both to see if the test was accurate, which, you know, they're right. only about 20% accurate for them. And also they don't learn if you take a test, the other eight types anyway. And if you're going to engage with others in the in the setting, you have to understand the other eight types as well as your own. So, so true. So it doesn't make any sense for me the way I do it to do a test unless a client insists on it. Well, I'm curious, like how much time do you, do you allot for, you know, cause some, some, some organizations, they, they just make time for two hours, maybe four hours. It takes like an hour and a half for us to cover it in a, in a like pretty fast. The, the more I work with it, the more I've been able to distill the types into the more essential qualities and not get kind of caught on tangents. I okay. also use stories of each type that don't describe the type negatively or positively. Like, what type are you? I'm a four. Okay, so you're a four. So there's so many ways to stories about a four. Like, some can make them sound like the most wonderful, creative, and inspirational people, and some can make them sound four sound like the most moody, <laughs> uh, emotional, etc. Right. right. And then there's ways that are kind of in between. Right. So a, and the stories can't be lengthy ones. So a type four story might be something like this. And this is true. I do have a close friend who is a type four and she struggled for many years with feeling not as good as other people. Mm. After a lot of self-reflection and work on herself, what she recognized is that she's not perfect or, you know, she's not flawed or there's nothing deficient in her any more than with anybody else. And she's as unflawed or flawed as everybody else. And we all have work to do. Right. So you're yeah. talking to the, the passion of envy yeah. and feeling lesser than, and you're just describing it for her. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's interesting. Well, then how you, you are a, a two, right? Correct. 
And you, I, I don't know how much you emphasize these subtypes yourself. Are you a social too? I am. Okay. That's just a guess. So I, I didn't know. Uh, so well, you're educated guess. <laughs> so um, how do you, well, what would you say for twos? How do you describe twos in the workplace? Well, the issue with the subtypes is that people learning it initially don't need to know the subtypes. Right. Seven of them, that creates a whole complexity to understand. However, when you're getting to typing, some of the subtypes can look like other types too. So I, yes, people are going through a typing process, like for, for twos, I would give this story. I, this is, I'm making this, this is a colleague of mine. Okay. A lovely human being. She's uh, spent a lot of work on her psychological and spiritual growth. She is one of the best teachers and facilitators I know. And she's writing a book on the Enneagram and facilitating when people are learning the Enneagram. Now, she hasn't finished the book yet and she's been working on it because she keeps thinking she's not ready yet. And she keeps adding things to it, you know, and all that. And I'm sort of help encouraging her to just get the book out here already. But part of it is for twos is it's much easier for people like my friend or me to not be in the forefront, but to be supporting other people's success and effectiveness. And what she's dealing with is like, oh my God, if this book, it's not that I'm worried about it's being successful. I mean, yes, I'd like to get out there, but she was, she went, what's going to happen to me if it is really successful? And then I'm very visible. And no hmm. longer am I the person who's supporting everybody else, although the book is meant to support other teachers. But what's that going to do? Because I'm not used to that. It's much safer to be second behind the scenes for twos than to be in the forefront. Okay. But you haven't yourself struggled with that at all. You've written many books. which oh, don't tell me I haven't struggled with that. When my first book came out, um, I was sitting in my... You know, I finished it. You know, some people have looked at it. They liked it. Okay, fine. But all of a sudden, I got very anxious. And I talked to a few friends, and I said, I'm starting to feel anxious about this book. And they all assumed that it was because I was worried that it wouldn't be successful because I put a lot of energy into it. Right. And love and care and thought and all. But then I realized after that, it wasn't that I was more anxious that it would be very successful and that I'd have to be kind of out there. And when I recognized that, I, I got into, I had a panic attack in my office by myself, sweat pouring down. A real oh panic attack. I've had that before. What do I do? I don't, I was so in familiar territory because I'd always played it more safe. Okay. And then it was like, okay, I don't know what I can do. I'm just going to have to go through this. So I let myself basically sweated out in a panic saying took me four hours. Wow. I went through that and then it was like, okay, okay, that's it. Do you want to have this book out there or don't you? And so which one was this? I know you, uh, the, um, because one I think has been quite successful. The 2004 one that you published with McGraw Hill. Yeah. It's still very successful. Yeah. That's done really well, almost 20 years in. What's the exact title of it? Bring Out the Best of Yourself at Work. That's right. When McGraw 
we signed the contract, what they said to me is we want this to be the classic. We want, see a lot of publishers, they're interested in books that can sell a lot quickly. And then when the book stops selling, then it can't get it. It's like back ordered and all that. They said, no, we're not work like that. We want this book to be a classic. And they want it to sell repeatedly over years. And I'm like, what's yours? It's like, they, well, it's, that's what they got. <laughs> That is what you got, I think. that, it, And it is, you know, I only discovered it a couple of years ago myself and have found it incredibly applicable and useful. We still go to it because there's there are all these ideas, different trend, different ways of typing There's and, and comparing. Uh, there's a lot to it. And of course you do, by the way, we're going to celebrate it. You have a, uh, a brand new book um, out, Transform Your Team with the Enneagram. I um, just referred to it recently, actually, when um, I just had to do a training on uh, trust in the workplace with an organization, was looking for some some ideas, and you have, it's chock full of ideas. Yeah, and I love the way uh, that you use the the uh, the model from 1965, the Tuckman model for, uh, from the, it's, yes, it's forming, storming, norming, and performing. Right. And through the lens of the Enneagram and how each team member contributes under those conditions. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a great model. It's a research-based model. You mm-hmm. know, it holds up. Um, it's a good one. And it's the book has more, of as you know, than that in it. Yes. Fully in it. But there was a point when I would say, maybe after I had a couple of books out, and people say, Ginger, you see, you know so much about the Enneagram. And I would say, well, actually, I know more about teams than I know about the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my team background is, is vast. At some point, they caught up with each other. And so, you know, and at this point, I don't even think about that anymore. But that's where this book came from. It was like time to write the team's book. Yeah. And I noticed that, you know, having been in one of your trainings before, you are, and I think, because I do think one of the challenges in bringing the Enneagram to a group is that sometimes, well, first of all, as we just covered, it takes a little bit of time to make sure everybody understands all the possible types. But then you you have people who, for many different reasons, and often not, not bad ones, you don't land on your number as quickly as you might like, or some people have mistyped for a long period of time. And I've, I've observed that you are, you don't hesitate to say, I don't know that you really are a blank. Yeah, I will. But it's data-based. It's like, mm-hmm. first of all, you know, because I said that I think the Enneagram finds us when we're ready. So there'll be people in groups where they're not actually ready. It's very few. I mean, they might find their type, but then, you know, they'll forget it. They won't pursue it correctly. But so I'm okay with people I do the best job I can in the time and resources I have to help people find their type accurately. Mm-hmm. Three people can't. It's usually because I didn't teach it very well. Okay. Enough to find enough. What you're referring to is I wrote a book, which is probably the second bestseller, but I mean, the is the art of typing, which oh, I yes. because typing is so important because it's your type is and is not important. It's important because it opens the gateway for your development and your insight and your awareness. But right. just knowing that you're a four, that I'm a two, like that's so, well, there's so, it's interesting, but so what, right? It's like, right. what are you going to do with it? And see, in organizations, people, the reason it has traction, the underground, 
is because knowing your type and working with it can help organizations solve problems or challenges better, faster, sooner, inclusion issues, trust issues, productivity issues, motivation issues, team issues, and people understand how to apply type to these different contexts. It'll, it'll make clear why one motivational system set up in a team or organization might work for certain types, but other types need something else. Even recognition. Some types, some people like public recognition. Other types like, please don't do that. That's embarrassing. I like, you know, I like being recognized by you that I did a good job here, but I don't need it in front of 500 people. <laughs> I feel like embarrassing. So you mm-hmm. explain and understand that. So I do like help you find your type as best you can in the best way I can. And then how does this apply to whatever the context the client's wanting to work with? So example, sales. If I'm working with a sales group. How, right. how you sell, you know, who, what kind of, you know, what's your strengths? What are your development areas? What do people who you're selling to of different types really want from their salespeople? So, you know, how, how is your type's sailing approach match them? And how can you expand yourself working on your development areas or not overusing your strengths so that you can be a better salesperson to even more people than you currently are? That's a, something that people who work in sales want to know how to do. So that's, you know, there's a kind of a fraction for the endogram because it helps you do something. And once you start that, then you start to use it in other areas of your life too. That's kind of my strategy. That's awesome. You know, and I know that sales, it, it can be really effective for sales, but if they could just be open to it, it uh, actually can be very impactful even in such contexts as that. You think, so do you think the resistance is coming from the people in sales that they don't want to learn the Enneagram or the resistance from Enneagram people thinking you shouldn't use it in sales? Well, that second part, I don't know. I don't know if it's suspicion, but it's more just like, I think it's it's the way that people think about the Enneagram right now. I think we're trying, you know, we're it's becoming more popular, but I think people are still a little suspect of it. It does have, it comes with the association. A lot of people are seeing it as being, well, isn't that kind of a spiritual thing or, 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 is yeah. it just like another strength finders Myers Briggs thing? You just noted both of those. I know. I know. You know. So you get first of all, it's just suppose you get a person in sales who wants to bring you in or me in or someone in, and they're interested. They need to know. See, businesses are not in the business just of self development and self awareness. They want whatever they do to also contribute to the business. I guess people results more engaged right. people feeling more satisfied, a lot of things. So in sales, I mean, there's such great applications to sales that by Instagram type that can be incredible. And it's a lot of fun to do. And it doesn't have to take that long. Yeah. So the other thing is sales. I think in sales, they probably want what they get faster than some other departments, but everybody's really busy. They don't want, they want to see a difference as the result of using it. And so that's kind of what I'm about. It's like, I know the NRM really well. And, you know, the typing is important. That's why the art of typing and somebody's got their type wrong. I don't want them to go for weeks, months, and years thinking they're a type they're not. That's not right. anybody. 
So I don't really say you're not this type, you're this type. I don't say that, but I will say, I'm not sure you're this. Type. Right. Right. And well, I am this type. Okay. You know, do you want to know why? And I'll, cause I'm, well, you know, this, these factors would suggest maybe not this type, but I don't really try to tell them what type they are. And I don't even necessarily know, cause I'm not thinking about that, but I want to help people the best I can in the most respectful way find their type as accurately as they can in the time I have with them or give them resources to be able to do that. Do you have some organizations that want to keep working with you and they keep doing it and they get a little bit more advanced and you see real transformation? And some are not as much like that. And I have some organizations where I'm not the only Enneagram person working with them, but they bring Hmm. in specialized things like senior teams, um, they actually, this one organization I'm thinking of, they've been, they've been working for a long time and I helped them with a bit with their curriculum that they were teaching, but I wasn't teaching it because I a, didn't have availability and my pricing was higher. They could find people more local to do that, but I helped them with that. Some of the executives have been tight, but they didn't think they were typed accurately. So I got to do a one-on-one with a senior team, which was really fun and typing, um, which ended up being typing and a little bit of coaching. See, I don't think they would have enlisted me to coach because I think they might have wanted me to, but I don't think that they could have sold that to their senior leaders. But when I'm saying, well, I think you sound a little more like this type than that. And they would say, well, why? This is one-to-one, right? So, well, because of this, are you like that? Well, yeah, I am like that. How did you know? And I was like, oh, you know. Yeah. So like pulling out, pulling out, just asking Q&A, helping them self-reflect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, while we're on this subject of like, you know, organizations and so, so I think some organizations, they, they want, uh, some evidence about like how, what is the efficacy of the Enneagram before we, um, bring, bring you in to do a training, uh, with our organization and you guys have really contributed to that part of the field with your latest global survey. Could you talk a little bit about like how you went about trying to gather the more empirical evidence-based uh, data points yeah. for how the Enneagram is effective in organizations? Yeah, so I'm happy to. So when the Enneagram started to proliferate more, especially in the US, but beyond, and you know, the 70s and then the 80s and 90s, et cetera, in organizations, the organizations that were using it were called early, the innovators, early users. These were people that had been exposed to the internet for some reason, they could sense, feel, they got the value. They weren't looking at what proved to me that it's effective. They just were like, we're in the experimental mode. We believe, and so we got, that was it. But then when the Enneagram sort of the curve of innovation started, people started looking at whether companies are doing this, what are the results? How do we know? Okay. Yeah. So what so what happened is I have what you're referring to is um my organizational name is the Enneagram in Business. And I have a network of global professionals. There's usually around 70 of um Enneagram in business network members, senior members and associate members. And I mentor the seniors, it's and the associates are mentored by the seniors. And it's really about development more than anything else, although it can be a referral network. Okay. So one of the things we do among many for ourselves is we try to find out, well, what's, how can we contribute 
to the Enneagram's use in organizations. And so in 2011, we did the bench, a benchmark study where we did amazing number of interviews with consultants and leaders to find out what they're using the Enneagram for, what the best practices were, what were some of the results they'd been seeing. 72 interviews of at least two hours each, and we put the data together. Okay. Okay, so that's pretty good. Um, so critical success factors for making a successful Enneagram usage. And we were looking at organizations that had been using the Enneagram for at least 18 months, uh, based on the assumption that it had gotten refunded and that we're doing, you know, been using it in a number of applications. So it's good. So fast forward to 2020, 2019, the network said, wow, is it time to do a new, do more research? But this is like a number of years later, what do we want to know now? You know, because it wouldn't be redundant. Right, right. So a team of the EIBN, Enneagram Business Network members, we got together and said, what do we really answer? What question are we looking to answer? And the question was, what is the value of using the Enneagram in organizations? What's our value proposition? Why should they do this? We were trying to say, why should they use this more than that? Or why should you use the Enneagram? Okay. So yeah. and we developed a survey. The pandemic hit. We didn't do it. And then after the pandemic, everything sort of changed. The virtual, you know, we redid it and said, okay, let's redo it. So we were looking at what were the benefits of using it. And we said, okay, in these areas, you know, for the organization, in teams, in leadership, and we categorized that. And we listed out what we thought could be the benefits. And we had a category of others because you get this much data, you, you know, to, to quantify, quantify everything that's just written. And we want it in multiple languages because we want it to be global, not just English. Yes. So we did that and we got the survey created. And we got it translated into 23 languages. Like, it's pretty wow. intense. And then we sent it out. We did a whole rollout of getting people. And, in the, and we had three statisticians behind the scenes helping us to make sure that we were doing things in, you know, or because online research is its own thing. It's not, it's different from a dissertation or whatever. Yeah. But we want to make sure it had all the credibility and integrity we needed. So we needed to use them. So we got almost 800 respondents from all over the world. So That's quite a, quite a vast amount a vast of information. And when we started to see the data roll in, after about 200 people, we were seeing the data never changed. It just got hmm. And that's hmm. what the, our statisticians, they said that's because the survey is strong, the survey is good. And you can, the more people you get, it just reconfirms the data you've already got. Enneagramsurvey.net. We'll need yeah. to put that in the show notes. But they're very helpful because they'll show you what the impact is of using the Enneagram in organizations in a variety of different applications. But overall, what you've provided is a really pretty substantive resource that validates what we sort of say in theory that there is this universality doesn't matter that the Enneagram is cross cross-cultural it doesn't matter about gender age right yeah we looked at gender we looked at age no difference we looked at level in the organization because we 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 didn't want people that had to act somehow 
experience with the use of it in organizations. And whether you were a leader or a non-leader in a company, it didn't matter, no difference. You know, whether you were like an HR person versus leader, no difference. It's just that we didn't find, we expected more differences. Wow. Yeah, I think that our audience would love to dig in and check out that data. It's not an overwhelmingly, it's not a huge report. It's like a few pages. It's just you gathered it from a lot of data sources. Yeah, well, see, when we got the data, it was interesting because we didn't know how we were going to present it. And we sort of, I think, assumed that we would mostly have words and then a few things through, you know, graphs or something. But mm-hmm. the data was so compelling. And so we have most of it is bar graphs with percentages. You can see it for yourself. I mean, I love it. Yeah. You don't have to take our word for it. This is what <laughs> right. we got. That that is awesome, and yes, will and you know I'm a member of EIBN. I love your vast trove of resources, almost more stuff than you know what to do with. Lots of directions to go. So why don't you tell us, Ginger, uh, a little bit about you know the Enneagram in business and some of your offerings and where they can go to find learn more. It's not just it's not just about me. It's about the Enneagram in organizations. So that that doesn't sound as catchy. And it's about, oh, and we have this tagline, all the resources you need for the Enneagram in organizations. So to that end, we have, I do certification programs for professionals that uh, want to learn how to use the Enneagram in organizations, like seven or eight, nine, I forget how many. I've got nine books. Uh, We have 28 hard copy training tools and eight virtual tools that we started once the pandemic happened and there was a desire for that. Um, we have a, an interactive learning portal, the Enneagram learning portal. I work also directly with companies myself still. It keeps, I enjoy it. It's my love. I don't actually love writing the books. I do them kind of in service of something, you know. I know <laughs> it's more a service of something to do towards helping, remember the blimp, bringing the Enneagram out more? Yes, yeah. Definitely. We will let people know because I do think that is a great resource. You've been working at it for decades and, you know, there is just a lot of value there and you've just made a huge contribution to the field since that inauspicious beginning. Yes. Well, that is true. And, you know, the other funny thing for me is um, I I have never had a plan because once I just occasionally I had to do some like I have tasks and you know little micro things but occasionally somebody says you should have a big plan and I create one and never manifests it never works because it's it's too narrow and it's but if I go with the blimp it's like just be still be silent what you're supposed to do will become clear I basically when I follow that that's what really works for me and I enjoy myself more Fantastic. Well, that is uh, so. And well, it seems to work for you. It works for me. I'm not recommending it for everybody. I was getting people asking me, I've never worked in an organization to design programs for them. It's like, I don't know you. I can't do this. You know, so this network has really, that's how, that's what I'm talking about. Emergence. It's like, oh, that's how to solve this issue. I see. Yeah. So as the needs arise, you seek to find solutions to meet them. Something I think I can do well. Well, it's been a delight to have you on and you've done this interview very well and we're honored to have you. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Thanks for being on, Ginger. Okay. Bye. 
We are all about big ideas and how to integrate them to live a more sustainable life, to open up your learning, level up your self-awareness and consciousness, and move from surviving to thriving to flourishing. And I think what our guest and all her experience and research is trying to help us see is that there is more to the Enneagram than meets the eye, which is another way of saying there's more to us than meets the eye. There's more dimension and complexity to our personal and professional lives than we even give ourselves credit for. The Enneagram is a tool, a vehicle, a compass or a map, whatever metaphor you want to use, that illuminates us to ourselves and provides us with data that we can choose to do something about or not. But maybe that's part of what Ginger means when she says the Enneagram finds us when we're ready. We don't always care to know what's going on behind the scenes. And even when it becomes clear or clearer to us, we don't always have the energy or willingness to do something about that information. If you're in a place where you wanna do something more about where you're at and recognize there may be some new or renewed directions for your life, reach out to us at BigSelfSchool.com. We have a couple of stable coaching offerings, both of which do use the Enneagram. We can also consult or coach your team or organization. Find us at BigSelfSchool.com. And please do leave us a review if you're liking the guests and ideas we're sharing on The Big Self Show. We'll see you next time.